0: Welcome to the Teaching Race Matters podcast from the Runnymede Trust, the leading race equality think tank in the UK. The tragic death of George Floyd in America and the subsequent Black Lives Matter protests triggered calls across Britain, particularly amongst young people, for a reckoning with our country's past. We know that now is the time to focus on these issues and to understand the call for a more diverse national curriculum. This podcast seeks to explore what it means to teach race, migration, and empire in schools. We will be interviewing academics, teachers, and practitioners as we explore different periods of Britain's history of migration and anti-racist activism. We will also highlight actions being taken in schools across the UK to diversify what is being taught in our English and history classrooms.
1: English teacher, Ms Mbakwe, she's actually the head of the entire department, she tries really hard to not only diversify the English curriculum, but like, she really tries to push and challenge the English canon that we really see that's sort of taught without question in, in most schools. I think what I enjoy most about it is just how it's been taught to us, especially now in Year 13. There's really been this great emphasis on like taking on the on all the different content that we learn and hmm. properly critically thinking about it. Um, currently we're reading the book The Kite Runner by Fisini, and I feel like Um, That book has really um, exposed me to this world that I'm unknown, like this this unknown world of the Afghan society. It's in this year where we've read the the most diverse amount of Mm. English texts that I've ever read before that in English class.
0: I think when you're reading books, and it is about black or brown people or Asian people, I just feel like, oh, I'm going to learn.
1: I can have a different perspective on life now. The fact that it's kind of like being recognised by like the institutions, but they still kind of enforce like books that are like of Eurocentric views, which I'm not kind of like completely like dismissing. But then at the same time, if there was like a balanced books, European, Asian, African, it kind of broadens your knowledge, number one. And it kind of like makes you feel engaged and like included within literature, which most Bain people don't get to experience in
0: schools. In this episode, we focus on efforts to diversify the English literature curriculum, and in particular, our project with Penguin Books, Lit in Colour, a campaign designed to increase the representation of authors of colour in English classrooms. Black and ethnic minority students currently make up over 30% of pupils in primary and secondary schools in England. But despite this... Lit in Colour research found that fewer than 1% of students at GCSE study a book by a writer of colour. Today we are joined by Dr. Zahida Nabajerika, who is the head of social impact at Penguin Random House and the former manager of the Lit in Colour programme. Thank you so much for joining us, Zahida. I suppose the first question is, why does it matter that we diversify the English literature curriculum in schools?
1: I think that's a great question, and there are, you know, quite a few answers to this question. I think one of the first ones to remember, um, and this is really, I think, laid out quite clearly in the Lit and Colour report, is that both teachers and students overwhelmingly want this. You know, the report surveyed both primary and English teachers, but also um, young people, from all over the country. And this is something that they really, really want. And I think because they're the ones very much involved in this in the teaching and the learning and having that, you know, psychological contract in terms of wanting to actually make something happen is really key to to any movement, right? But if we actually think about, you know, where we are in the world, what we want young people to kind of take, there's a really important need for us to diversify English literature. It's a core subject up until the age of 16, so pretty much every teenager has to do English literature. Our research found that less than 1% of GCSE students currently answer um, or currently read a full-length text by a writer of colour. Now, of the last year when exams were sat, that's over 500,000 students. That means that less than 4,000 of them actually read a full-length book by a writer of colour, and that's just not good enough when we think about how many young people in England identify as black, Asian, or minority ethnic. It's currently at 34.4%. So there are real needs for young people of colour to see themselves in the curriculum, Um, But also for, you know, children who identify as white to understand different perspectives and be interested in what other cultures have to offer. And English literature, it really is a subject like no other subject. The way that you're invited in to feel another character's perspectives, to challenge, you know, are they doing the right thing? Would I do that? How does that make me feel? No other subject does that. And therefore it can teach empathy like no other subject can. So it's a tool that we're currently, you know, not using correctly, but we're also not teaching students about the rich diversity of what literature has to offer. Um, So, yeah, there are lots of reasons. And I suppose the other
0: side of that is that this is not only about teaching writers of colour, it's also about reading the books, the plays, the pieces of writing that we've read all of our lives, the Shakespeare's, the Dickens, in a different way, in a way that includes conversations about race, about empire, about migration. What relevance does that have to this this
1: movement to diversify the English literature curriculum? It's really key. And I think an important thing to state is that List in Colour is in no way saying we want to get rid of Shakespeare. We don't want, you know, your Jane Austen's. No, 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 we want them and we want them taught you know, deeper, we want deeper engagement with what they were actually saying, because there seems to be sometimes a bit of confusion in that, you know, race and empire, these are things that just people of color write about. And it is just not true. White people, writers of heritage from, you know, years ago, write about and engage with race, empire, you know, and a person's skin tone. And if we're not teaching young people that, that they do that, well, what are we actually doing? And are we doing those heritage texts justice? If we think about, you know, what was happening in Shakespeare's England at the time, London was incredibly multicultural. There were people from all over the world here. And if we think about, you know, his poems about a dark lady, we can pretty much say, yeah, his girlfriend could have been of colour. And I think for a teacher to really engage with that narrative, to plant that seed in a young person's mind is amazing. Because what will that do for, you know, a white student in the Northeast? That will say, okay, cool, people of colour have been here for years. It's normal. They have been living here, you know, for centuries, and that's a normal thing. It's not this new thing. People of colour are taking over the country. No. It's been here for years, but what will that also do for you know a 16 year old girl in South London to know that Shakespeare, arguably one of our most famous and beloved writers, had a girlfriend who maybe looked like her? That's really profound and revolutionary. And when I think about the time that I was taught, you know, um, a dark lady, one of one of those poems, there was no mention that she could be black. She was most definitely white, and the, as far as it went, was that she had black wiry hair. And I think for me in my English class, being the only mixed race child in that English class, if I had that seed, what would that have done for me? Because I've always loved English. But I think keeping that in mind is so important um, for young people everywhere. Um, And I think it, you know, it also goes beyond Shakespeare. If we also think about um, Emily Bronte and Wuthering Heights, Heathcliff is othered. um, He's othered racially. And he's from Liverpool. And we know that lots and lots of ships from around the empire came into Liverpool It's a very multicultural place. So Emily Bronte was also exploring race, exploring love between a white woman and a potentially black boy. What does that mean? So I think there's more that we can do to really situate these texts in their, um, you know, histories. And that means engaging with race and empire. Absolutely. And it feels like it adds that other dimension of reading uh,
0: it gives you more of a reading into context it gives you more a reading into history as part of reading dickens or shakespeare or emily bronte and that has such a profound and important part in just teaching english literature not to mention what it might mean for someone living in london who is the only woman of color in their class who reads about shakespeare's potential girlfriend i think that's really really um important and I'm just wondering, there are lots of people who are critical about this and talking about you know, what could be lost. Are you saying more could be gained? And I think that's clearly what we're all saying, that there's, there's something there that really can be gained and read into these texts.
1: Definitely, this is not about taking anything away. This is about adding. This is about making what we have richer, deeper, and better for you know, all our collective understandings um, And I think that's a really important thing to remember. There is space to teach, you know, your Rennie Edo lodges alongside your Shakespeare's there is space to engage with all of them and we should be doing that because otherwise we're not giving students an accurate presentation of what literature is of what expression can be and I think that's incredibly sad really we're not doing the right thing and to turn young children off reading which we know that's what's happening um you know what young children reading at school is turning them off reading that's on us and it's we've we've just got to change it. And to go on to this conversation about race in texts and how race is talked about in texts, one
0: of the key things that came out of the Lit in Color research, of course, was this conversation around racial literacy and teachers often struggling with how to talk about race uh, when it's within a book. Um, And this is something that I think, you know, Lit in Colour does really well to to point out. Um, But why does it matter? Why does it matter that conversations about race and racial literacy uh, need to be had in order to teach books by writers of colour more effectively, but also in order to teach English literature more effectively?
1: I think, um, and this is where it gets really it's not an easy conversation. It's difficult, it's complex, and there are different, I guess, levels of awareness around the country. But yeah, the Lit in Colour report found that teachers aren't receiving enough training in how to do this, which is meaning that they're not feeling confident in how to engage with it in the classroom. When we think about heritage texts, everything I've just said about, you know, white writers from many years ago engaging with these topics, teachers need to understand the nuances of what they mean, of what the sentiments behind certain lines were. You know, there's a line in Othello where it says something like the jewel often an Ethiop's ear or something. And like, who is he talking about? Who is this Ethiop? What does that mean? Where is Ethiopia? Let's get map out let's look at it okay it's in Africa where's Africa what was Africa at this time you know when Shakespeare was alive so there is so much to kind of unpack there but if we're not equipping our teachers with the tools to be able to do that how can we expect them to do that for young people but I think also um it goes deeper than that because you have you know the n-word used in certain texts like of mice and men which teachers have been really talking about for many years now in terms of feeling uncomfortable in the classroom having um young people feel um you know victimized traumatized and people you know from 10 15 years ago have been coming out and saying that was my experience this should not be happening anymore there is a way to teach of mice and men sensitively without using the n-word and understand what um what racial dynamics are kind of charged within that text. But we aren't doing that enough. And this isn't to put the blame on teachers. This is about understanding where we're at with our own um, kind of anti-racist practice and needing to find a way to embed that in schools um, so that young people aren't then learning our biases, aren't learning our sort of racial illiteracy, and we're actually equipping them to deal with, you know, difficult conversations that will happen. Um, I think it's really naive to think that we won't have these, especially in light of the murder of George Floyd in 2020. That really was a moment for the whole world. Everything stopped and we can't sort of underestimate what that has done for people in terms of understanding how important race and representation is. And young people saw that literally on their screens. Some children did not have, you know, adults, parents, people in their lives who were able to articulate what it meant and why and how the system, ha- that happened. Mm. But also we need to not think this is just an American problem because we have Stephen Lawrence in this country who was 18 and murdered and the McPherson report of... Um, 1997 actually said, the curriculum is the best place where we can challenge racism. It's the best place where we can create a sense of belonging. And literature is a fantastic tool to do that with. And we're just not quite there yet, but we can get there, but it is going to take, you know, a really collaborative effort and people being comfortable with being uncomfortable.
0: So will you tell us more about the Lit in Colour campaign and also what the key research findings were around specifically barriers facing teachers
1: and educators in teaching writers of colour? Yeah, so the Lit in Colour campaign is all about supporting schools in the UK to teach more um, writers of colour in English literature. The first phase of the campaign was all about um, launching the research. Um, We did research in England with teachers and young people really understanding why more texts aren't being taught in the classroom and how they feel about it and what they kind of want to happen. The main barriers that that research found are that time, um, resources, lack of knowledge, lack of subject knowledge in writers of colour, but then also a lack of confidence in knowing how to talk about race in the classroom. Those are the four main barriers. When it comes to time, we know that teachers are time poor. They don't necessarily have enough time to go and create a whole new scheme of work around writers of color. Two, there aren't enough resources on text by writers of color out there. If you have a teacher that has, you know, tried and tested resources on Of Mice and Men, that is the one that's going to make sense. If they know that they can get their students, you know, the highest scores on on those, using those resources. Um, I think money is also a really significant one. Schools budgets have been cut. They don't have enough money to always buy new books. And again, if you have 250 copies of, of Mice and Men in your cupboard and you don't have enough money to go and buy 250 copies of a new yeah. text, which you haven't taught, the logical answer is sadly to go with what, what you know has worked. Um, and that's putting it in, you know, very crude, very crude terms. But this is what, you know, the reality is for some teachers, when it comes to subject knowledge about um, writers of colour. Again, this is something where teachers in the report said that they did not feel strongly that they didn't have that knowledge, um, and this is something that we've taken we've taken on board at Penguin with the resources um, that we've created. We created two Lit in Colour incomplete lists last year, and they are publisher agnostic lists that feature over 100 writers of colour, both classic text, new text, to bring together knowledge, basically, to share with teachers and give them ideas of what they might like to take into the classroom. These lists, um, they're kind of categorised by age, so what kind of class, year, group, they'd be appropriate for. There's also a little write up, um, the year that it was published and kind of the themes. And we know that this has been helpful because teachers have got in touch and said, bought the whole thing, thank you so much for, for, you know, for doing this for us, this is what we needed. Obviously not every school can do that, but just still collating lists like that are, you know, it's time saving for teachers because we know they're time poor. Um, but when it comes to this lack of confidence in teaching race in the classroom, this is a really big one that sort of compounds everything else. Because even if you have, you know, new books, even if you have resources, if you don't have the confidence to talk about race, that could mean that you're not going to really use those books or the resources. So this is the really tricky one, which needs to be cracked. And this is the one that sort of everyone has to do their bit in. No one entity can solve it themselves. Um... Yeah. And one of the things that we're trying
0: to do with this podcast is talk about Britain's anti-racist history, you know, that history of migration and empire, but also the struggles of people of colour that came in response to intolerance, in response to prejudice, and in response to bigotry. And so it's part of these broader um, histories that we we need to uncover. And as you say, you know, there is George Floyd, but there is also Stephen Lawrence, and and that can sometimes get lost. And we need to make sure that in schools, people are aware of what horrific incidences have happened, but also uh, what amazing and courageous activism there has been. Um, I'm thinking about Paul Stevenson, uh, the architect of the Bristol bus boycott. I'm thinking about Jair Ben Desai, um, who led the Grunwick strike. Um, I'm just wondering how you think uh, these stories uh, could be brought to life more in classrooms.
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, if we take the um, the tragedy of the New Crossfire of 1981 where 13 young Black people between the ages of 14 to 24 years old died during a birthday party when a fire broke out at 439 New Cross Road. Now, the Black community at the time believed that this was a deliberate and racially motivated arson attack because that was, you know, the norm for people of color from the Windrush era. Um, It was used as a tactic to intimidate and essentially to make people kind of leave um, where they had chosen to settle. Um, But the aftermath of this event was greeted with such kind of governmental indifference, police incompetence, and just general, just like, don't care, you don't matter, um, that it caused Black people to, you know, come together to congregate. And that was in January 1981 when the fire happened. And... The resulting kind of grassroots mobilization was the Black People's Day of Action on the 2nd of March 1981. And that, at that time, was an unprecedented thing in British history in terms of people of color, not just people of color, actually, white people too, marched on Parliament from Deptford, where the fire had happened, saying things like, This just isn't good enough. Um, You know, we're here, we live here, and we deserve better. And I think if we, you know, look back at other precedents where children have died, the queen or a government figure would reach out and say, we're sorry, this is awful, acknowledge that human life had been lost. But when you don't have that for Black children, what message does that send? What message does that really send? That says you aren't human, you're dehumanized, and therefore we we don't care about you, you don't matter. So I think it's really important to look at these events and think about what you know, artistic expression was happening at the time. And we're so lucky that we have Linton Kwesi Johnson, who was a poet at the time. He was an active member of the British Black Panther movement. And he was, you know, creating poetry and he has this poem called The New Cross Massacre. And it's in, you know, Jamaican patois. And he performed this poem and you can, you know, go and listen to YouTube clips of it. But that was, you know, when it happened, And if we fast forward to where we are now, again, as I've mentioned, we've had a huge sort of global reckoning with the global Black Lives Matter movement in the aftermath of George Floyd's death. Um, Again, making us think, how far have we come? And that's not to say we haven't come far, we really have. But in Britain, there's a different conversation that needs to happen And I think when we turn to art, if we were to use the poetry of Linton Crazy Johnson, but also line it up now with the more recent poetry of Jay Bernard, who has also composed poetry, um, speaking back to the events of the New Cross Fire, we have, you know, Four decades, essentially, where we can look at how these poems are talking to each other. So the intertextuality of what they're doing is really amazing. And I think to be able to bring that into a classroom, to create a safe space where you can explore these things, think about, you know, if you went to a birthday party you know, as a young person? Because these were 14 to, you know, 21-year-olds. It's very likely that there are 14, you know, 14-year-olds who've been to parties where maybe things have got a bit leary. But if a fire were to happen, how would you expect, you know, your government in today to, you know, to treat you, to treat the community? And I think there are just really important lessons that can be learned. And the way that you can interpret literature, particularly in this instance, because it's sort of like social documentary, right? It's sort of, you know, t- retelling us what happened, but through the creative expression of two poets from a certain community, but decades apart, that's really, really powerful. But, you know, these poets aren't on the curriculum. I personally think they should be, and I would love to empower teachers to be able to bring them into their classroom. And I think, you know, if we're also going to think about, because also Jay Bernard composes poetry in, you know, Jamaican Patwa, We teach people Chaucer, and Chaucer is, Mm -hmm. you know, not easy. So I think when we can get over these sort of barriers that we put on ourselves, we just have so much more opportunity to really think about, about really big problems and issues that haven't gone away, that young people are experiencing today in different ways, but are part of our past, but here in our present, if you understand what I mean. So... Yeah, that's a bit rumbly, sorry. No, that's, I mean,
0: I think it's exactly that, that it's allowing people a portal into an area of social commentary, of difficult part of history, difficult conversations about race and about empire in a different way um, and giving that space because with poetry, with Linton Kwesi Johnson, with Jay Bernard, you have this connection to their experiences as poets but also as people who are part in some way of the communities that were originally affected and I think that that in any classroom whether it's you know wh- whoever's kind of making up that classroom that has an important
1: and and gr- good place in in building empathy right definitely but I also think you know if we look at our you know slightly you know more closely there are such interesting things happening now if we look at you know um, the film director and and artist Steve McQueen mm. and his Small Axe series. That's amazing. The medium with which he's using because that's a mass medium, right? A lot of people can watch 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 a film, watch the television. Not not everyone can, obviously, but that in itself is really amazing for kind of making it um, onto the big screen. And that's again a brilliant thing you could take into a classroom as. Uh, an extra resource to highlight and show students what you're talking about. And when I think we give teachers permission to think about these things and empower them to, to bring in these diverse narratives into the classroom, you have, yeah, just kind of light bulb moments. And I think particularly when it comes to, you know, the Windrush generation and all the experiences that that generation went through, there's a lot of unearthing that needs to happen in terms of what people went through and how we got to where we are um and there are so many brilliant stories that that you can do that with and i think just literally dialing it back to the story of one person is such a brilliant tool and then thinking about you know the literature that surrounds it and can cushion it and really illuminate it further and We have so many texts that can do that for us. You know, we have Andrea Levy's Small Island. We have, you know, Brick Lane by Monica Alley. All these different kind of communities that have come to England, Britain, made it their home and enriched everything that British culture has. It's all here, but we just need to do the work to unearth it and make sure that it takes its rightful place among other really well-respected texts and yeah, literary heritage. So we're hoping that lots
0: of teachers and
1: educators listen to this um,
0: and are sort of aided by this in the work that they're doing in the classrooms. So and we know from surveys and from engagement with teachers that there are a huge appetite to teach more writers of color in the classroom to teach more about race to teach more about uh, migration Um, and I'm just wondering what advice would you give to teachers listening to this podcast about what to do to next integrate uh,
1: writers of color in their classrooms I think that's a really great question different things work for different people but I think finding a community, this shouldn't be one person's burden alone. You can do so much more when you reach out and find out what other people are doing, what tools they have used, what books they have started with, what podcasts they've listened to, what art they've gone to, you know, what extra reading they've done. And I think thinking about it like that, it's not just one training session is going to fix it. It's constant learning, but you can also you know, find out stuff that you didn't know and make it really interesting for yourself in terms of why you teach literature, why you love it, what you want to spark in your students. And I think starting small, because it can be over- overwhelming, it's really heavy. And I think it's important not to diminish that. But finding a community who want to do it with you, I think is, is a real, is a real plus, And that lessens the load.
0: Yeah, and given how overwhelming that task is, and also how much time, how time intensive that is, you know, to build something new into a curriculum, especially when the focus is so much on attainment, um, and that is, you know, the measures by which so many teachers and educators are judged, um, where would you point them to, I'm um, thinking specifically about available resources, uh, in encouraging ways to diversify the English literature curriculum in schools?
1: Well, <laughs> I would definitely point them towards, you know, the resources that we've created for Lit and Colour. When we published the report last year, we also created a suite of resources um, which support, say, an English department with how to do a really thorough audit of what their department currently teaches and if that matches up to what they want their students to be learning from English. We also created a resource which is, you know, how to have a conversation at department level in terms of wanting to raise more awareness about the need to make English literature representative. And I think those are two really key things because even if a teacher has the desire, getting senior leadership to sign off on it and getting more people in the department to really be behind you is key to making sure that it doesn't become the burden of one teacher alone because that's when it won't work. So I think those are two... Free resources that I would really point to if you know you're at the beginning of this journey, but I think there, um, there's a range of different things um, that that we've kind of created with authors and with other teachers. So we've got some GCSE um, English language and literature resources free to download from our website. They come with kind of activity packs. There's also multimedia aspects in terms of authors reading their text and then kind of answering questions on them. And I think that's also really important for young people to see authors of colour engaging with their own text and writing, um, and thinking a bit more about what they want young people to take from it. Um, we also have ones for primary. I also think, you know, that our migration story resource that Runnymede has, um, created even though it's a history resource would really lend itself well to English teachers too to help give that context because you can't teach in like literary texts in a vacuum you just can't I personally think you can't do that and it makes it so much easier as a teacher to understand the historical context with the with the literature because then you can widen it out and make it so much broader um so I think our, our history our history our migration history resource is great um but also just kind of doing a google search or just an internet search, seeing what else is available, finding out from other teachers what's available. All our resources are hosted on TES, so um, Times Education Supplement, TES Global, their website, all our resources there, free to download. But there are so many. And I think having a go, seeing what works for you in your class, seeing what you want to adapt, seeing what else you can add into a scheme of work and being playful. It's not You, you might not get it right first time, but you know it's really worth continuing and, and finding what works.
0: And I think the thing that you've sort of said again and again, and I think it's so clear, is that this is a really joyful piece of work. It has the kind of potential to impact not only students of colour who see themselves more in within the books and, and the way and the things that they're learning in an English classroom, but also for everyone to have a really in depth engagement with our story and our island story in another way. Um, so given the extreme importance of this work, uh, what do you think needs to be done going forward to integrate Writers of Colour in the classroom?
1: Um, I think there are a lot of great things happening. So I would just say more, more of everything that's happening, but specifically continuing to raise awareness um, for the teaching profession um, of the need to diversify. Within that though, being aware of all the pressures that the teaching profession has currently been under with COVID, mm-hmm. There are so many demands on their time. So, I think it's really important that this work isn't an extra thing, that there is adequate um, time given. You know, if a teacher wants to set up their own reading group and read through a book with their department, that there is proper training provided and books are provided. And again, this is, you know, where I would definitely plug Lit in Colour in that we've been doing a lot of book donations for schools. Um, And I think this is really a great thing. And sort of, you know, Penguin as a publisher, this is where we know we can make an impact um, through donating books by writers of colour to schools and making sure that schools are aware of, you know, the brilliant catalogue that we have and that we're spotlighting, you know, works that we think young people should be reading. Um, I also think, you know, it's sort of... It is very much a collaborative effort. No one's going to solve this alone. So finding out, you know, what other schools are doing. If you're part of, say, a mat, what are your fellow schools doing? How are they doing it? What's working? What isn't? Um, But also, you know, using other free resources that are out there. So you know, the NEU have a brilliant anti-racism charter, and I think that really clearly states out, you know, what an anti what a school's anti-racism charter, you know, should be and how that might work for you because then that has implications for how other subjects are taught. Um, Yeah. And so now that this research is
0: done and I think it's really important to say that these barriers are, now we have a real idea of what they are and what they look like and how they affect
1: teachers. What's the next step for the Lit in Colour campaign? What's going on at the moment? So the next stage is really all about, you know, making good on the recommendations that the report stated. So for us as a publisher um, we are not saying we're experts in education, it's all about getting books to schools, getting books in front of young people, in front of teachers, because we know we have, you know, an amazing catalogue of classic writers of colour, of older writers, of newer writers of colour, and they aren't necessarily making their way into schools. So, lots of book donations is what we've been doing, but we also have partnered with awarding bodies. So, Pearson at Excel and OCR are partners of Lit in Colour, and we've been working with them as they have diversified their GCSE and A level curriculums. Pearson. Have also gone a step further in terms of creating, um, with us um, as well as other um, organisations, a pilot program called Lit in Colour Pioneers. Now. This is all about removing the barriers and seeing what happens. We incentivized a hundred schools in 2021 um, to change their text that their students sit at GCSE or A level to a text by a writer of color because Pearson edXL had actually changed their texts um, back in 2019, but they found that no one was taking them up. So this pilot is all about seeing what happens when you remove all the barriers, give teachers the racial literacy training, give teachers the books they need Give their students a whole library of books that can support those set texts, and also give them, you know, enrichment events with authors and opportunities for young people to actually engage with writers of colour. So that amazingly started in 2021. There are over there are 12,000 learners currently going through that process, and we've opened it up again in 2022 for another cohort um, to to you know to have a diverse English literature curriculum. And I think that's the action that we need now. And with OCR, they changed their text very recently. And it's really great because they literally listened to what their students wanted. And I think a really important thing to highlight here is that, you know, um, the first black female Booker Prize winner, Bernadine Evaristo, is now on their A-level um, curriculum. And that's amazing because they literally responded to what their students want. Her book, Girl, Woman, Other, was one of the most studied um, non... It was the for the NEA, the non-examined um, assessment. So students were choosing this. They were choosing that to, to you know... For that part of the module so to actually have them respond and say okay you love this text we're going to put it on the curriculum is amazing and Bernadine everisto has been you know a real champion of lit in color and that's great um but we've also been working you know with other publishers um on the pioneers pilot but very recently bloomsbury um came on board as a named partner of Lit in Colour. They read the report. They saw what we said about the kinds of texts by writers of colour that are currently making their way into curriculum, and that's predominantly poetry. But one single poem does not equate to, you know, many, many pages of a whole full, you know, text worth, a full text of, a full text written by a writer of colour. So what they have said is actually... You said that no plays by writers of colour are getting studied. We publish lots and lots of plays and we're going to join Lit in Colour and we are going to make sure that we're putting the best and brightest plays um, in front of young people. And that's brilliant for us because Lit in Colour really is collaborative. It's about bringing people from across the education sector together. And we aren't experts in the publishing of plays but Bloomsbury are so having them come on board is great because they're just making the offer even richer.
0: And I just wanted to finish by asking a sort of more general question uh, which is if you had to pick one book by a writer of colour or two or three I know it's a really difficult question uh, to teach in the classroom which one would it be and that's to
1: any age group? Um that's a really hard question. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think I have to go with some of my favorite texts. And one of my favorite writers is wa who is a Kenyan writer. And he has written so much kind of about African literature, the diaspora, but also the impact that empire kind of had on Africans who choose to write in English rather than their indigenous African languages. And he has this brilliant novel called um, Devil on the Cross, which is one of my favorites because of the way that it depicts um, this banquet. And I won't talk too much about it, but I think this is a brilliant text to teach in a classroom because of the way that, um, well, it's the rapper Okala. He based one of his whole albums off There's a scene in this book and it's called, yeah, it's called The Devil's Banquet. And I think the way that you can have that text in a literature class where it engages with, you know, in indigenous Kenyan literary traditions, there's satire. He's talking about, you know, post-colonialism independence. What does that mean in, you know, the settler colony, which Kenya was after independence? What, What does that mean to be an independent African state? But then to have a, a writer, and he wrote that while he was in prison. And Ngugubathe was put in prison for writing a play in his indigenous mother tongue of Kikuyu. And I think teaching that is a fantastic tool. It's a great device to kind of get students thinking that even writing in a certain language can put you in prison in a part of, you know, the former British empire. But then fast forward, you know, because he wrote that in 1968, fast forward a good 40 years. And you have the rapper Akala, who's basing a whole album off this scene. And that for me is just amazing because you can do that in a literature class. You can go from, you know, a former British colony in East Africa to independence in Africa to present day Britain and think about how these narratives are engaging with each other and why they're engaging with each other. And I think that just opens up a whole new world for students. And, you know, where do they see themselves within that? How would they feel if they were to, you know, write in their indigenous language um, and be put in prison for it? And I think if we think about, you know, what other parts of the of Britain are doing, if we think about, you know, Wales in particular and the way that they have championed Welsh, I think thinking about that in itself, language in a Welsh school, would be a really exciting thing to do. So I've gone on a bit, but that would be probably the one book that I would teach. And I would probably teach that to A-level students um, you could teach it to university. Stu- I mean, it is taught to university students. I think you could also teach it to GCSE students. I think you could teach it to, to, <laughs> to all anyone. Students, I want to read it. This sounds yeah. Um, yeah, I will be. I will be good and just pick one text though. That one I've talked a lot about it.
0: Thank you for listening to the Runnymede Trusts Teaching Race Matters podcast for teachers and students looking at how best to teach writers of colour in schools please review the resources available on our Lit in Colour website. We'll be releasing a range of free resources over time for all age groups. They will be aimed both at the English literature and language curriculum, as well as to support a love of
1: reading.